This is from the New International Version, and it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. Now perhaps, I don't know if this is true, but perhaps um, for non-Christians, this is the most well-known parable. Um, certainly, it's very well known among Christians as well, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt a little bit, doesn't it? We, we're familiar with the story. We know what's coming. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, sometimes it's too familiar. If I was to say to somebody out in the world, you've been a good Samaritan to me, that, they would take that as a compliment, wouldn't they? They would say, well, that in some way you've helped me or uh, you've, been, you've been kind to me. And uh, that's a, a really awesome thing. In the UK, we have a an organization simply called the Samaritans, and uh, they provide a 24-hour helpline uh, for people in distress, particularly for people who are suicidal, and to really help them and talk to them uh, through their distress, and so that's an amazing thing. Here in North America, of course, we've got Samaritan's Purse, which is uh, really from this parable as well, isn't it? It's how uh, we provide for people in need. Uh, the purse that the Samaritan had, and we provide for people all around the world. And they do these amazing little boxes and things at Christmas and all sorts of stuff uh, to help people all over the world. A great organization. And so we understand the whole idea of the story. It is, it is a, a one that resonates with people uh, in the church and outside the church as well. And on the face of it, it's a pretty simple story uh, that Jesus uh, uh, told. It's easy to understand. And we even get the punchline really quickly, don't we? Who was the neighbor? The guy that helped him. Yeah, we, we get that. And so the story uh, in itself um, is pretty simple. And uh, most of us would say it's about helping people who are suffering. It's about being kind uh, to people. And sometimes the parable is, uh, you know, it's taken down to that um, level of uh, we should all be kind to one another. And we all say amen to that. Yeah, we should be kind. Uh, we've talked, we've sought in the reading uh, we've already had this morning that kindness is part of the, fruit of, of the uh, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and we should be kind to one another, uh, particularly in the church. Eh? 
Uh, we should always treat each other with kindness. You know that way when somebody comes and says, I want to tell you something in love, you think, oh no, <laughs> what's coming next? But we should be kind. Uh, and so, and the Bible throughout teaches us about kindness and being kind to one another. But you know, these parables that Jesus taught, um, they're a lot more powerful than just a simple message like that. Uh, because they are parables of the kingdom of God. And every time that Jesus taught a parable, he was revealing something about the kingdom, wasn't he? And as we look through, you've been going through a series in the parables, and these parables are revealing kingdom truths. Uh, Jesus came to proclaim that the kingdom of God um, had come. And uh, really, people really flocked to hear this message of the kingdom. And it, it seems like everywhere Jesus went, he was followed by hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. Um, who were desperate to hear this message of the kingdom uh, that really resonated. They wanted to know about this kingdom of God that Jesus was announcing had come. And uh, they were attracted uh, to what Jesus uh, wanted to share with them. Yeah, Jesus was there saying that the kingdom of God has come near you. And that for ordinary people, there's entry into the kingdom of God. And this was such an amazing good news message uh, for the people in Jesus' day. Remember John 14, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus was throwing wide the gates of the kingdom and saying, all can enter in through me. By faith in Jesus, people could enter um, into uh, the kingdom. And just after he spoke these words about being the way, the truth, and the life, he actually went, just uh, hours later, he went to the cross and uh, he, he allowed himself to be crucified for the sins of the world. Uh, so that ordinary men and women, no matter what state they came into Jesus, could find forgiveness and redemption and cleansing and renewal, and they could be born again as children of God and be welcomed into the kingdom and into the, the family of God. And so all these parables point to this great, amazing uh, kingdom. And Jesus has something to say to us this morning uh, from this simple, uh, short parable uh, we've read today. Now, to really get what Jesus is talking about, we do need to do a little bit of uh, understanding of the context uh, that um, Jesus was speaking into um, in, uh, in this parable. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the passage we've read, you'll see that really the parable came in the context of a personal conversation. Um, it was a conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law. But it wasn't a private personal conversation. It was a, pri a conversation that was taking place in a a public uh, domain, but it was between uh, two uh, uh, people. And this was a, a teacher in the law was coming and he was standing up with a particular purpose. He had come to test Jesus. Here was this rabbi that was uh, having such an impact in the country and this uh, expert in the law had come along to test Jesus. Now the law we're talking about here isn't civil law or criminal law. It's a, it's a law of God. In other words, uh, the Old Testament, uh, the law uh, given by Moses and the prophets, which they, they called the law. And so they came, uh, he came to really um, uh, challenge Jesus. Jesus claimed to have come from God and to have a message from God. And so he wanted to check out and test that that message really lined up uh, with uh, the scriptures that they held so dear um, uh, in the uh, Jewish society. And so the lawyer has a great question. It's the question of the ages. It's a question we should all be asking. 
And uh, it wasn't the first time Jesus had been asked this question. If you remember, a rich, young ruler came and asked exactly the same thing. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the question, what do you say is the right path to a relationship with God? How do I enter into a relationship with God that's eternal and goes beyond this life, eternal life? And so how do I enter into that um, relationship with God? It's the right question to ask Jesus, especially the Son of God sent to be the Savior of the world. What a great question. How to inherit eternal life. It's the right question, and it's the right person to ask the question to. So he's got it right so far. Ten out of ten. Now Jesus, when he's asked the question, he does what rabbis often do, and he's so cool under pressure, he just fires it right back. And he says, well, what do you say? You're an expert in the law, so tell me what you think. How do you see it? How do you teach it? What does the Old Testament say? And so this young guy is really sharp, and he obviously really is an expert because he goes right to the heart of it. And uh, these are, he quotes two verses, uh, uh, one from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, and one from Leviticus 19, 18 from the Old Testament. And uh, these are verses that are really well known um, within uh, Jewish religious circles. They were not uncommon verses. And uh, he quotes the two verses at Jesus. And he gets it right again because Jesus himself had used these two verses as well. In Matthew chapter 22, when he was asked about um, the law of God, he said, all the law of God is summed up in these two things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the young man gets it right again. Ten out of ten. Yeah. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, that's what they're really all about. Even the Ten Commandments are about that, aren't they? The first part of the Ten Commandments is about loving God. How do we love God properly? And the second part of the Ten Commandments is loving each other. Love your neighbors. How do we love our neighbors? And so the lawyer gets 10 out of 10. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. But then there's a punchline. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Love God perfectly. Love your neighbor perfectly. And you will live. And that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? And I feel kind of sorry for the young guy because he's caught in the moment, isn't he? He's very public about this and he's proclaimed this is what uh, eternal life looks like. And Jesus says, well, do you do it? Do you actually live like that? Are you able to love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly? And uh, he takes the, uh, the route, the easier route, I think, because nobody can really challenge whether we love God. That's between us and God, really, isn't it? Nobody can really say whether we love God with all our heart. But um, being a lawyer, what do lawyers always look for? Loopholes. <laughs> and so he's looking for a loophole, and he said, so uh, this loving your neighbor thing, who is my neighbor? And what he's really wanting to do is to define neighbor right down, isn't he? And if he says, is it the guy next door? Um, is it the people in my family? Is it the people who are in my group? Who is it? And uh, this was a discussion that was going on within Judaism in the day. Who is the neighbor? And um, at one extreme was the neighbor is only Jewish people. We only have to love our fellow Jews. And then there was gradations from that. And so there was a debate going on about who is my neighbor? 
And so um, he uh, was uh, just trying to get Jesus to define uh, what, um, who the neighbor uh, really was. And I do feel sorry for him because uh, for all of us, if we ask that question, do you love God perfectly? Do you love your neighbor perfectly? It's a difficult challenge, isn't it? Now I live out in Maple Ridge. It's a lovely part of the country. Um, and I love living there. Apart from, I have to travel to East Vancouver every day in the traffic. And I must confess, it's difficult to love my neighbors <laughs> as I drive along the road. Especially, I, I don't know if any of you drive Hondas, but I've noticed that people drive Hondas drive particularly bad. <laughs> but, um, take that as you will. <laughs> um, but, um, so this young man is... Uh, is uh, 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 looking for um, some sort of definition of who he has to love. Do I have to love Honda drivers? Yeah, you do. Because Jesus uh, in his teaching has already broken down the barriers. He said, you've not just to love those that are easy to love, you have to love your enemy. You have to love your enemy. And Jesus has taught that. If you look at his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about uh, the rabbis say to you to love fellow Jews, but I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who you, uh, treat you badly. And uh, Jesus has already broken that down. Uh, and this young man is, uh, is trying to uh, get it down to something that's manageable, something that he can actually achieve. And here is uh, the juxtaposition of the two uh, things, the, the, the Jewish religious system and the kingdom of God. Because under the Jewish religious system, uh, they want to be able to achieve righteousness on their own through keeping the law. They were proud to be able to keep the law. And so if they could just say that they kept the law, then they would be considered righteous. And here was Jesus offering eternal life through faith in him as people came and, and recognized before him that we're not righteous in their own right. We can't achieve these things. We can't even love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we certainly struggle uh, to love our neighbor in the way uh, that God uh, would want us to. And so Jesus um, responds to his question, not with a, a direct answer, but with this cool little story about a man going down from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. And so he said that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they stripped him, they beat him, and they left him half dead. Now, for the people of that day, they would recognize this story. They would say, well, uh, we understand that. Um, say, and I went to Jerusalem a, a, a couple of years back and it was a great experience and you can stand in the Mount of Olives and you can look down and see Jericho. And Jerusalem's way up high, it's like 3,000 feet up and Jericho's 1,000 feet below sea level. And so it's only 17 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. So it's a steep old road, eh? And it goes down between... It's just great for bandits, eh? It's great for thieves. And it was well known as a dangerous road. Um, on the road is a, a, this pass called the Pass of Blood. It tells you what it was like, eh? It was a pretty tough road. And when Jesus told this story, people recognized it right away. Now, there's parts of Glasgow that I come from, if you said somebody was going through Castle Milk and they got mugged, people say, oh yeah, I understand that, <laughs> you know. And so uh, um, it was the same in these days. They understood uh, the story, they understood what was going on here. This man uh, was 
in dangerous territory. And even for centuries after Jesus, that road was a place for bandits and a place for people uh, to uh, get in trouble. And so as this man was going down, he lost everything. They beat him up. They took his, even his clothes. They took his goods. They took everything. And I don't know, he must have been just lying there in his underwear, beaten, bleeding, in a really terrible, terrible situation. And so I guess the people listening in and the, the young lawyer will be thinking, what is going to happen to this guy? Um, is somebody going to come and help? Is, it, is there going to be something that helps this young guy? He's in a desperate situation. And then Jesus continues with great news. He said, by chance, a priest was going down the road. Excellent. Because a priest understood the law of God. He understood you had to love the law your God, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so what good news. Surely the priest would help this man. Then Jesus continued and he said, but he went by on the other side. Now the word used here wasn't that he just went, had a look at him. He said he would cross the road. He went by on the other side. Totally ignored uh, the man. Now you would expect that the priest would stop and help. Because he loved God. And that love for God would make him love his fellow man. But he didn't. He passed by on the other side. Now if you read books about the, uh, the Good Samaritan, they go a lot of lengths to think what the priest might have been thinking. He might have thought it was impure to touch the man. Or he might have been hurrying to a church service. Or lots of things. But the priest wasn't thinking anything. It's just a story. It wasn't real. Okay, But the point is, the priest that should have helped passed by on the other side. And so this priest didn't have eternal life because he didn't love the Lord his God perfectly. He didn't love the man lying there desperately, perfectly. So according to this uh, trying to attain righteousness in their own right, he couldn't attain it. And so the next one that came along, Jesus said, was a Levite also come along. Verse 32. Now, the Levites, uh, they were kind of down the priestly line. They were the people who helped out in the temple. They weren't as high up as priests, but they were more practical. These were the guys that made it happen. You know, in churches we have that as well. We have pastors and the people who make it happen. Sorry. <laughs> Don't tell Wes I said that. But um, he, they were the guys that make it happen. So surely this man, he was around the temple the temple was where God was and uh, the presence of God and uh, people, he served in the temple and he was a practical guy. Surely he would stop and help. But again, he passed by on the other side. He crosses over and passed by on the other side. If he really loved God and if he really loved his fellow man, he would have went and helped. Eh? And at this point in the stories we read it as Christians, sometimes we can get condemning of the priest and the Levite, we can point the finger, eh? But the problem with pointing a finger is there's a lot pointing back, eh? And the truth is, many of us pass by on the other side, am I right? We see things in this world and we pass by on the other side. I remember reading in London that um, uh, people in London getting assaulted. They, they'd done a, a study in the police and so often people are getting assaulted, women are getting sexually assaulted in the street. And people walk, walk by. They don't stop and help. It's common for people to walk by and not to stop and help. 
But, verse 33, and this is the shocker in the story, because the next person that comes along is a Samaritan. And that is shocking for the young uh, uh, teacher of the law, and it's also shocking for the people listening on, because Jews hated Samaritans. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They absolutely hated Samaritans. They would have nothing to do with them. In fact, this road is quite ironic, but if people wanted to avoid Samaria, they would go down this road to Jericho, then go up the Jordan Valley to avoid Samaria. So maybe the guy is there because he's trying to avoid Samaria in his journey. And isn't it ironic? It's a Samaritan that comes along. But the Jews, this is a century-old problem. They would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They saw them as heretics. They saw them as half-castes. They saw them as they don't want anything to do with them. Remember when Jesus met a Samaritan woman, she was shocked that a Jew would talk to her as a Samaritan, let alone as a woman. She was shocked that Jesus would talk to her. And Jews would, Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. In fact, when they wanted to insult Jesus, they said to him, we think you're demon-possessed and a Samaritan. That's the worst thing you can say to someone. You're a demon-possessed Samaritan. So they absolutely hated Samaritans. So when a Samaritan uh, came along, and Jesus said, and he felt compassion for the man lying there. And he did some amazing things. What is most shocking for the young uh, lawyer isn't just the, the, uh, the Samaritan helped, it's the extent to which the Samaritan helped. He went to an amazing extent to help this guy. First thing he did is he got off his donkey. And so he got off his donkey and he began to get down right close and personal with this guy lying on the ground. They began to examine him to find out what was going on, what was happening with the guy. That in itself was a danger. This guy had just been attacked by robbers. He himself could get attacked. But he gets off and he gets down. He then begins to examine the guy's wounds. Who does that? Looking at somebody's wounds and uh, cleaning them up and bandaging them. Um, what an amazing thing to get down there and help this young guy to that, this uh, poor guy to that extent. This guy was obviously a Jew. He was come from Jerusalem, so he was a Jew. And here's a Samaritan helping a Jew like this. And then he pours in oil and wine that he'd been carrying. And uh, the word used here is he extravagantly poured in oil and wine uh, to anesthetize the wounds and to cleanse them and to heal them. It was extravagant. And, uh, and then he bandages them up. Where does he get the bandages? He has to rip his own clothes up probably to bandage this guy. And he puts him on his donkey, and he has to walk, and the guy rides the donkey. What an amazing thing. And then he takes him to an inn, and he takes out two denarii. Now, I don't know what two denarii are, but seemingly, um, there's, a, uh, there's a, some documentation that shows that the price of an inn in Jesus' day was a 32nd of a denarii. So he takes out two months stay at a hotel. It wasn't the Holiday Inn, but it was an inn. And he gives him two months' pay. And then he does an amazing thing. He stays overnight because he doesn't leave till the next morning. He looks after the guy, makes sure he's settled. And then he says to the innkeeper, who would do this? Um, if there's any other expenses, let me know. And um, I'll pay you when I come back. You can see the innkeeper going, whoa, <laughs> there will be more expenses. Uh, so... <laughs> So, but who does that? Who acts like that? This is not just compassion. This is extravagant compassion. And I am guessing, I may be wrong, 
But I'm guessing there's no one in here today who has ever done anything that extravagant with someone lying by the side of the road. I may be wrong. Maybe you say, yeah, I've done exactly that. But very few of us, I have never gone to that extravagant length by someone I found uh, lying outside the road. My wife reminded us, reminded me this morning, we did take a guy in who was living behind a dumpster and he stayed with us for three months. So um, I do remember that. She said that was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> but here was a guy who was demonstrating the extravagant compassion of the kingdom of God. Amen. And that is what the parable is about, is that God's kingdom is extravagant. This young man was facing up none other than the one who fulfilled absolutely and completely loving the Lord your God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving his neighbor as himself. The Lord Jesus himself was sitting there. And here was the one that absolutely loved extravagantly. He is the one that absolutely demonstrated what it is uh, to have eternal life. And here's a young man trying to just himself, uh, justify himself in front of the one who's the justifier of us who fall far short of God's standard. Amen? And so when Jesus went about, Peter wrote about Jesus and said, when he went about, he continually did good. Everyone he met, he did good to. Wherever he went, he continually did good. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he touched lepers, he fed the hungry. Um, wherever he went, he was filled with compassion. He said he, he saw the crowd, he was filled with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a compassionate one. This is the one that this young man needed to go to to learn how to be compassionate the way that God is compassionate. And you know, to this day, Jesus continues to be that compassionate one. Before I came here um, to Canada about a year and a half ago, uh, we lived in the UK, and I was a pastor in a drug and alcohol rehab in, uh, in, in uh, the middle of England. And uh, we had a 60-room rehab there, and guys would come all the time, heroin addicts, alcoholics. Mainly they came from the street. Mainly they were half dead because of heroin addiction, alcoholism. And, you know, Jesus met them there in that place, and he healed them and restored them. And they experienced his extravagant love. And so many of these um, addicts today are living for Jesus because they felt the compassion and the mercy of Jesus. He picked them up from the side of the road. He bound them up. He healed them. And he put them back on their way. He provided for them in amazing ways. And Jesus is the same today. He heals and restores and he delivers. And what this young man needed to do was not to justify himself in front of Jesus, but to come to Jesus and confess, I cannot love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not able to. I can't love my neighbor the way I really want to. But I come before you and I repent and I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to fill me with your spirit so that I can begin to love God the way I should and to love others the way I should. And that is what the parable is about, that there is a kingdom when we can come in our poor, broken state and say we cannot love God the way we, we, we should, we cannot love others the way we should, but there's a Savior who can forgive us cleanses, renews, fills with His Spirit, and we can begin to move in the way that we should in loving God 
and in loving others. We can begin to be good neighbors to those around us. At the end of the story, Jesus does an amazing thing. He turns the whole conversation around. The man saying, who is my neighbor? And he's trying to define as narrow as he can his neighbor. And Jesus turns around and he says, are you a good neighbor? It's not who is my neighbor. It's not who should I love. It's how much should I be loving the neighbors that I come in contact with. Whether it's just walking by the side of the road or whether it's the guy over the next fence. How can I be a good neighbor? And the answer is through faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we ask him to come and renew us and cleanse us and fill us with his spirit, then we begin to become good neighbors. And all over this world, Christians are doing amazing things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're transforming this world by being extraordinary good neighbors. Just before we left the UK, a guy came and spoke at a church. He was from he was a, a British guy, but he lived in Burundi. And Burundi is about the poorest country in the world. And he'd taken his family there, and he was living there as a neighbor to the people of Burundi because he, he, God called him, and he was there on a mission to show the love and the mercy of God to the people of that country. God can turn us into our awesome neighbors if we'll come and say to and repent, say, Lord, help us to be the good neighbors that we are meant to be. I thought I'd finish with a great story which I heard, and it, it comes from the, the funeral of Billy Graham. And uh, at the funeral of Billy Graham was uh, Jim Baker. Now, you, you might not know Jim Baker, uh, but Jim Baker's kind of infamous in Christian circles because he was a tele-evangelist, uh, but um, he actually um, ended up in jail because of tax evasion and tax problems. And uh, when he ended up in jail, um, the whole Christian world... Um, denied they really knew him, and he was kind of abandoned in jail. And uh, uh, he was a kind of, uh, he'd let the Christian world down, he'd let the church down, he'd let the name of Jesus down. And Jim Baker was in jail, and everything, he lost everything. And uh, he was in jail one day doing a work party. And the guard came and said to him, you've got a visitor, can you come to the uh, meeting room? There's a visitor here to see you. And Jim Graham said, well, Jim Baker said, um, I'm a bit of a mess. And he said, hurry up, you have to come now. So he went out there, and there, waiting for him in the visitor room, was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham threw his arms around Jim Baker. And he said, I love you, brother. I want you to know that I'm here for you, and I love you. That's amazing compassion, isn't it? Now, Jim Baker said that when he left jail, and he got out, he got out, the front gate, Franklin Graham was waiting for him. And he said, you have to come to my mum and dad's house. You're going to stay there until you get back on your feet. And Jim Baker's now involved in, in a, a, a ministry uh, again now. And he was at Billy Graham's funeral to, uh, just to honor that um, amazing compassion. You know, God wants a people of amazing compassion like that who will reach out to those who are lying half dead by the side of the road, who will welcome them, uh, bring them healing, restoration, help them to understand who Jesus is and walk in his ways. Will we be a good neighbor? The way to do that is through faith in Jesus, allowing him to continually fill him with your spirit, allowing him to direct your paths, direct your ways as we reach out uh, to those in our 
community. Amen? Uh, let's stand and we'll pray together and then we'll... Father, we just thank you for this parable. We thank you that you are the ultimate compassionate one. Lord, we thank you for the compassion you had in our life. Uh, Lord, when we were half dead, Lord, when we uh, were by the side of the road. Uh, Lord, you picked us up and you've given us new life uh, uh, through faith in you, Lord. And Lord, we pray today as we humbly come before you and say we're not all that we should be, uh, Lord, but we thank you. Uh, Lord, that by your Spirit, uh, you can make us good neighbors, compassionate, uh, not trying to define who we should love and who we shouldn't, uh, but being led by your Spirit to love, to care for, uh, to um, provide for uh, those that we come in contact with. Lord, make us um, a powerful witness to the truth of your kingdom, the compassionate kingdom that reaches out to people in this community. Lord, I pray for uh, Dunbar Heights Baptist Church, that they've been known as good neighbors uh, within their community, and that through that, many, many people would come to know you and put their faith in you. Uh, Lord, just bless us, we pray. Thank you for your word. Encourage us, build us up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.